Hello and welcome to this podcast from Fields Church. Fields Church have a heart for God and a heart for people, and we hope that you find this podcast both inspiring and uplifting. If you'd like to know more about our vision for this community, why not visit our website at www.fieldschurch.uk. Well, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed over the last, uh, let's see, since uh, summertime, the uh, I Am's that people have been sharing. Um, I am strong, I am powerful, I am loved. Various people, and thank you for everyone that shared. It's been very encouraging and uh, thoughtful. Uh, this morning we're going to look at, we're starting a series on the I Ams of Jesus and what that means. And uh, so we have the seven I Ams that are in the Bible, which uh, should come up. Um, which way around is it? Oh, the other way around. That way? Sorry. Oops, there we go back. Whoops, there we are. There we are. Right. There we are. Um, the seven I am's, uh, and you'll probably know them. Uh, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So we have three weeks before Christmas, and so each one of us is taking two or three of those just to explore them. Now, the I Ams, they're only in John's Gospel. And that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, they're major statements about Jesus, and the other three Gospels don't, don't even mention it. Why is that? Well, when you study a great man, somebody or a woman, uh, most people will ask two questions. What did they do? And who were they? Who were they inside? Sort of the outside and the inside. For example, Winston Churchill, what did he do? Well, if you've looked at his life, he was out in South Africa, he went through the Boer Wars, and he, went, he was, became, I think, um, in the Admiralty, he was Lord of the Admiralty, and he, he did various things, and then, of course, he went through the war and all the things that he went through. And then, the other question, you'll say, well, that's all very well, I mean, that's what he did, but what was he like inside? What was he like as a husband? What was he like as a painter? Uh, what was he like? And so, you see, there, there are two things. And, and really, the Gospels line up with that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very much about what Jesus did and all the places he went to and all the miracles and so forth. But John, you see, John misses out. John doesn't even mention the nativity and uh, baptism and transfiguration and the ascension, which you could think, you know, they're, they're major things, but he doesn't even mention them. So it, it's a different gospel. Uh, and, and so therefore, uh, it's a case of understanding that. Because uh, you see, John was probably Jesus' closest friend. He knew him, and he was part of the inner circle of three, and he spent a lot of time with it and actually said he was the person that Jesus really, really loved. So John gets an insight into who Jesus was. 
and he knew what was on the heart of Jesus, and so he wrote the gospel to help us know who Jesus really was. And so he mentions in his, uh, he says, this book that he wrote was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he's saying, I really knew Jesus, I came to know him in a living way, and I want to explain who he is. John had a living relationship with Jesus and wants to explain it. And so that's the context of all the I am's that we're going to look at. I'd like you just for a second um, to turn to the person next to you and uh, talk to them and just say, what did you have for supper last night? And uh, also, what are you going to have for lunch today? Uh, if they're not in your family, then perhaps you can just find somebody else who's quite close and just, 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 me, I'll just find that out. Well, uh, Danny, what did you have? Christmas dinner. Wow. Good, good. Um, uh, who, well, look, up here. Who had um, potatoes yesterday? Yeah, just a few. Yeah, good, well done. Uh, who had um, rice last night? I, we had light rice. Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah. Who had um, bread? Just a few. Yes, good, good. Uh, how about pasta? No, no. What did you have then, Richard? Didn't it sound like a chili? Chili. What? No rice. Did you have any sort of staple food? <laughs> oh. No. Staple. Staple. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. anyhow, but generally, uh, I, and I put some people out in Africa will be having ugali, which is a you know staple food there. If you're in Czechoslovakia, you'll probably have dumplings. It, I mean, just there are certain staple foods that we have. But in England these days, we just have a multiply of all these staple foods. But the Jews in those days, they had one staple food, which was bread. They didn't have everything else that we had. They had one staple food, bread. Uh, I love bread. Uh, in fact, every, every Sunday, I'm uh, commissioned in our house <laughs> to produce a loaf of bread. And so this morning, um, I've, I've done a loaf, and it's in the bread maker, and hopefully it's, there's a nice smell wafting through our home. At least I hope it is, rather than uh, burnt. But um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, bread? And, and the aroma, I wish in a way I could have aroma coming through and you could have experienced that this morning, but uh, that's not possible. <laughs> well, when the Gospels were written, it was an agricultural world and people worked the land. And actually, I, they say that about 85% of a man's working or woman's life was spent on producing food, bread. And, uh, and so Jesus is a brilliant communicator because he uses the everyday things that people would understand. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And, and people would understand that that's the thing that we spend all our time working at. To, to, and he says, he who comes to me will never go hungry. And so Jesus uses the familiar. And 
it's in the context, and everybody knows the parable, of the, sorry, the miracle of the, of the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children from two small loaves, uh, two, two fish and five small loaves. Can you imagine what that must have meant to men who spent all their tri life bringing together and working to sort of eke out an existence to produce bread? Jesus just made bread, just like that. Wow, that must have been incredible. How did he do that? And you see, at the moment, that time, Jesus was at the height of his popularity. Jesus healed people, who, everyone who came to him. Uh, and Jesus taught thousands. And he then fed. And so can you imagine what that must have meant when they saw, how, how did you, yeah, we spend a lot of time doing this, and, and, and Jesus does it. And so you can see what the response was in that story. All the people were just astounded. I spent all my days trying to produce... They were astounded at the incredible miracle that Jesus performed. They began to say among themselves, he really is the one, the true prophet that we've been expecting. Jesus, knowing that they're about to take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone. You see, they were seeing Jesus as useful to them. Jesus could heal them. Jesus could lead them, and Jesus could kick out the Romans, and Jesus could feed them. Jesus knew what they wanted from him, but he withdrew. Now, I've got a friend whose uh, name's Nick, and I, I, I enjoy going around with Nick and we, he comes over and we spend some time together and he, each fortnight and we often do things together. In fact, we put our greenhouse up and he, he helped me do that and he's gonna, next week he's going to help me put up some concrete posts. And so he, he, he's great and I get really good on with Nick. But the thing is, I don't want Nick to feel that I'm just using him. You know, do you have people around that sometimes you feel... I'm just kind of using you. Well, the people saw Jesus as useful to them. That he would, as I say, that he would heal them and that he would lead them. But Jesus withdrew. And then the next day, you find in, in, in John 6, um, the, the people were hungry again. And you can imagine, I'm hungry. Jesus fed me yesterday. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I, you know. And so they, they, they dash about all over the place. They couldn't find Jesus. And it says they jumped into boats and they frantically searched for him. And in verse 25, they, they found him on the other side of the lake. And they asked, Jesus, how did you get here? Interesting what Jesus said. Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I, because I fed you by a miracle. Yeah. 
not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that's perishable and not be passionate to, speak, uh, to seek the food of eternal life which never spoils? I, the Son, am ready to give you what matters most. Interesting, Jesus rebuked them for searching for him. That's unusual, isn't it? Isn't it good to seek Jesus? But they were only interested in seeking Jesus to fill their bellies. And Jesus wants to do so much more. So much more. As I say, they followed Jesus really because they thought he was useful. He could heal the sick, give food, and he probably could kick out the Romans and, and the taxes and all the things that they were burdensome to them. Jesus could be useful to them. You know, sadly, sometimes we can treat Jesus that way. Jesus is useful to us. If I follow Jesus, then uh, I can become a better person. I, I, I become more patient. I, I hopefully can become a better husband. I have better morals. I'm kinder. Jesus is useful to me. But you see, Jesus didn't come just to be useful. Jesus didn't come to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus didn't come to give bread, but to be bread. So we often focus on wanting the gifts, wanting more love. I'd like more joy. I'd like more peace. And we focus on the gifts rather than the giver. And we can sort of use Jesus and neglect the relationship that Jesus wants with us. We can sort of say, uh, I need to be more um, self-control. I need to have more self-control. And we read books and we, 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 we sort of say uh, all this. But that's not the way. That's not the way. If we invite a relationship and we invite the resurrected Jesus into our lives, and then for him to live out through us, then he gives us that self-control. Uh, I've been a Christian quite a long time now, and, and it's the thing I, I, I just keep coming back to. I, I use Jesus, and I'm not spending time with him to have that relationship. And there's a major difference. Jesus didn't come to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus says, I don't just want to be useful, I want to be the mainstay of your life, a relationship with you, know you in your inner being. Paul says, doesn't he, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I've, lost, the all, I've also lost all things and consider them as garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. So Jesus says to us, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never, ever go hungry. 
And it's interesting, Jesus says, I'm the, not just the bread, I'm the bread of life. And it's in, in, in English, we've only got one word for life. But in, in Greek, there's, there's the two words. There's the first word is bios, from which we get biology, which you know we've all studied at school, plants and animals and, 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 and life, the sort of living. And the second word is zoe, which is a fullness, which is a, a bigger, it, it's, a, it's a completeness, abundance, richness. Um, I don't know, just as an illustration, uh, I remember going, gosh, three or four years ago, down to the uh, south of France, and uh, towards the end of the holiday, we went out for a meal in, in a sort of French vineyard, and uh, uh, we had a lovely meal, but it was also because of the, um, it was a warm summer's evening, and there was music in the background, and there were vines there, and I was with my family. And it just wasn't life, you know, just sort of eating. It was an abundance, you know, of realness about it. It's different. And Jesus said, I've come that I, you might have life, and life to the full. A difference there. A difference. Well, notice... It's, I must eat. It's not about my wife eating or my parents eating. So many people say, oh, my parents went to church and they, they had a... No, it's about us. It's a personal responsibility. All accountable. Interesting as well, Jews had bread with everything. They had bread with meat. They had bread with fish. They had bread with vegetables. They had salad. And guess what they had with it? Bread, <laughs> you know. And Jesus wants to be part of everything we're involved with. He wants to be part of when we're driving, when we're at school, when we're at work, when we're exercising. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. We've got to move on because we've got another one to go through and uh, uh, quickly moving on. Also Jesus said... I am the light of the world. Whoever walks follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Interesting again, the context, you know, remember the context of the uh, I am the bread of life was uh, feeding the 5,000 and what that meant and how that would have conveyed and how they worked. In this time, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world in the context in John 8 and John 9 of the healing of the blind man. Now can you imagine what it must have meant to a blind person who's been blind from birth, haven't been able to see anything, has been in darkness for don't know how many years, and then Jesus heals him and he can see. The importance of the context of we read this. Jesus says, I am the light. He is light. What does that mean? Well, apart from him, darkness. It's Jesus or darkness, Jesus is saying. There's no third way. It's Jesus or darkness in our lives. And Jesus is the light of the world. The world was made for Jesus' light. And our world is a better place, isn't it, where 
Jesus comes. His love and his kindness when he moves in. Our family relationships are better. Our school relationships are better. Everything is better. Our world is a better place where Jesus brings his light. And so it's interesting, isn't it? When you read the Gospels, then you, you see Jesus sort of shining his light and his love and acceptance to different people as he meets them. I just find it amazing that crooks and tax collectors and, uh, and prostitutes and, uh, and all these people were comfortable around Jesus, the light of the world. They were comfortable around him. And it was the religious people that complained that Jesus won't eat with us. He wants to eat with the dark characters that they thought were the dark characters, tax collectors and sinners not knowing that they were in the dark. They were in the dark, and they were uncomfortable around the light of the world. And if you have, I don't know, well they, they had a sort of spectrum of sinners, and the worst people were tax collectors. And as Jesus, light of the world, shone into their lights, lots of tax collectors followed him. What does that mean for you and me? Do we shine our love and acceptance into people that we meet in our world? I um, used to work for a firm called Impexion in, in London. Uh, they were a sales organization and uh, exporting out to uh, different parts of the world. And I, was, I was quite a young Christian. But in the company, in order to get an order, a lot of the sales people were uh, giving, were, were giving, um, a lot of the salespeople were giving backhanders. And uh, I was a young Christian, and I thought it was terrible to have to give backhanders to everybody. So I, 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 that was the normal thing in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the company. So I went into my boss, uh, Barry, who was a, a nice, he was, was a really nice guy actually, and I said to him, this is awful. It shouldn't happen. And I made myself quite objectionable, really. Laying down the law as I thought this was wrong. But I'm not sure whether I was right. And going back and thinking about it, because Jesus asked me to shine, not be a searchlight. Now, for us as Christians, Jesus sets the bar incredibly high in terms of how we live. But should we expect non-Christians whose minds are darkened by the world, flesh and the devil to have the same moral standards? I have a friend on the allotments I have an allotment and I go up there and uh, nearly every other word he uses God's name in vain. <laughs> now, do I reprimand him or do I love him? Do I shine or do I glare? And the dilemma there is, isn't there, how do we best shine in the place that Jesus has placed us in? 
And sadly, I have met quite a number of non-Christians who felt judged, who felt alienated, and I've done it. But I don't think it's Jesus' way. Finally, Jesus says, he's the light of the world. But you know, he's going to be the light in the next world as well. Talking about heaven, John in Revelation says this, the city doesn't need to shine the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Now that's an amazing thing. Jesus is the light of this world, but he's going to be the light of next world. He's going to be the total light of next world. I don't understand how that's going to happen. I don't understand how Jesus can be the lamp, the light of the whole of heaven. I don't understand the physics of it. But I know that he's the creator, he's the one in whom all things hold together, and I don't know, the physics are going to be different, I think, in heaven. Must be, must be. Um, I, I, I don't know how it's all going to work, but I, I, I know it's going to be great. There's no, no, more, no more tears, there's no more crying, no more death. It's going to be, sun, it's going to be light. And speaking of heaven, Paul says, I, uh, Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. So, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As I close, I believe Jesus comes and says to each of us, are you hungry? Are you hungry? I can satisfy your deepest need if you have that relationship with me. Is life getting you down? I can shine my light and my warmth into you. Can we just bow our heads as if we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our world to bring us life real life. Lord Jesus, we're so sorry that even as Christians we try find we try so many other things to find fulfillment. And this world's crusts don't satisfy our soul. Lord Jesus, we're coming back this morning to ask you to fill us. Jesus is here this morning. I'd like each one of us to take maybe a minute or two to do business with Jesus this morning. I don't know whether you've been using Jesus to... kind of get a better life. But he wants to come in 
he offers himself to you as the bread of life. Invite him in again, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 777th time, I don't know. Each one of us needs to have him in our lives. To be with us today, and then into everything that makes you, you. He wants to be invited into your work, invited into your marriage. He wants to be invited into all the worries and concerns that you have, so that Jesus can bring himself to bring his light and his life. So each one of us, just take a minute to talk to Jesus and invite him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He or she who comes to me will never ever be hungry. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Fields Church, would like to contact us or have prayer requests, please email hello at fieldschurch.uk and we'll get back to you. May God bless you this day.